Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating our 35th anniversary at Spring Valley Baptist Church. And I think it's always, uh, anytime an anniversary time like that, it's a wonderful time to be thinking about not only uh, looking back and seeing what we've done and where we've been and who was here and all that, but also a time to look forward. Uh, we always have to be looking towards the future and thinking about, you know, what is God calling us to do? Uh, how, how are we supposed to to minister in this ever-evolving community in which we live in the culture of today. So I want us to today look at, uh, from the book of Acts, an incident uh, that took place early in the life of the early church as recorded in the book of Acts and then make the application for us as it relates to us at Spring Valley Baptist as we look towards the future. Uh, on our 35th anniversary, we will reflect upon the blessings of God, but we're going to be challenged to look forward. Uh, and the theme is to uh, tell the next generation and to think about those who are not yet in this church, those who are not yet in the kingdom of God, those who have not yet heard uh, the message of salvation and how can we minister in this day and age. And there are a lot of things that we have to take into consideration. You know, we have uh, a lot of uncertainties around us always. What about the economy? You know, what about the role of government? Uh, what about the morals and values of our society? And, and the ever-increasing question, you know, what about our role? How, as God's people, Sunday people, the church, uh, how do we minister in this ever-increasing post-Christian, post-modern society? Well, when I look at our situation and the culture around us and the challenges before us, I think we're very reflective of where the early church was when we look at that in, in the book of Acts. You know, theirs was a, a pre-Christian society. Uh, it was a society that desperately needed good news, liberating news, and it was a society seeking truth and meaning in life. So what did this early church do? And how did it deal with all the... Uh, all the uh, influences around them because they also dealt with rejection and persecution as we'll see in our scripture. And how did they respond to the opportunities that God gave to them with the challenges that went along with that? Every opportunity's got a challenge or more than one. But when you look at the birth of the church in Acts 2, I think it shows to us uh, a church in the power of the Holy Spirit as God intended for it to be. And what do we see? When you look at the early church described in the book of Acts, I think we see a life-changing community and where people are transformed by their encounters with God. And then they minister to each other and to those in their community, seeking to lead them also into a life-changing encounter with God through Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to chapter 4, we look at this story and we see how the church remained faithful to its calling, to its purpose, in spite of some severe uh, persecution. And we see that it was a church that was on mission with God. And I think as we look at this church and the story around it, I think we can see what it means for a church to be on mission for the future. Now here's the setting when we come to chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Uh, in chapter 3... Uh, Peter and John are used by God to heal a crippled man. You remember the story, he's asking for alms, and they said, you know, we don't have any money, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, obviously, that caught the attention uh, of the leaders of the people. 
And when Peter preached again and tells them that the crippled man was healed by the power of Jesus, he urges them to repent and come to faith in Jesus. Well, the religious leaders, they're all upset about that. The established quo of, of the religious tradition had John and Peter put in jail. Even though many people who heard that message, the scripture says about 5,000 more responded to that message. And then on the following day, Peter and John were brought before the religious leaders to explain what kind of power brought about that miracle. And this is where we pick up the story. When we look at the scripture, if you'll follow along with me in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, and we'll read through verse 33. Kind of a long section to read, but it's also important to hear what's taking place. Uh, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then to confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And listen to Peter and John's response. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, this is the crux of his prayer, of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Now, what do we find in this detailed story about a church that's on mission with God? particularly looking towards the future. I think there are three things that are pretty obvious. First of all, a church on mission is committed to a purpose. The commitment here in the life of this church was evident by their unity. Verse 32 says that they were of one heart and mind. Now, not only is that kind of unity difficult to achieve, if everybody had been on the same page, if everybody had had the same socioeconomic background, if everybody had the same uh, job experience and came from the same culture and all of that. But if you really look at, at that band of believers, just from the, the 12 who followed Jesus and then the 120 who were gathered and all the others who might have been there, you don't see it was a mixed bag from all areas of that culture and of that society. You know, there were people who, had, who were rich, there were people who were poor, there were some who were fishermen, there were some uh, who were business people and tax collectors, there were some who had been brought out of totally unclean lifestyles. Thomas was one who doubted him, and, and Peter was one who had denied Jesus. And James and John were the brothers who kind of wanted to gain the favor of Jesus and have, have a place of prestige in the kingdom that, were, that was to come. Who knows, it's not mentioned here, but maybe even Nicodemus was there who had come to Jesus by night to ask him about being born again. How in the world could all of those people with all that diversity, age and backgrounds and, and, and culture and, and perhaps even variety of former beliefs and various levels of, of hierarchy in that society from the poorest sometimes maybe up to a great wealthy uh, business person. You know, what inspired them to come together and pray in one accord? I think the only thing, and it's got to be obvious, is a shared common love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what brought that unity. And when you think about that unity and you look at the church, you'll see that in the, in the Greek for the word harmony is used 12 times and 11 times in the book of Acts. And really it means more than just, just harmony, just more than getting along. It means to share a, a spirit or a meeting of the minds and hearts. It means a unity of purpose. And I suggest to us all then that if we're going to be a church on mission, we have to have a deep love for Christ which will draw us together in a purpose. And that purpose is to be on mission with God, to be the church, to be the people of God, to be Sunday people to proclaim the kingdom and change the lives of people. And to fulfill our purpose, we've got to meet the challenge of achieving unity within our great diversity. Sometimes on Sunday morning, maybe today, as you see these here in uh, this place of worship, and as you journey from here to your Bible study class, and then as that breaks up and you see other people moving into worship and some having been in Bible study and worship already going home, look at the variety of people. And you will notice that they are not everybody like you. 
You, you will think about the fact that there are some who are older than others. There are some who are younger than others. You know, obviously there are those who, who have different preferences in, uh, in worship style. Some of you are in this worship hour. Some are in the 11 o'clock worship hour. You know, you look around, you'll see that there are people with different levels of needs. So how do we bring about that sense of unity? Well, unity is not always seeing eye to eye on all issues, but it is standing heart to heart at the cross and on the very basics of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we focus on our purpose in Christ, we will achieve unity. That's the unity that Jesus prayed for in that great high priestly prayer in John 17. In verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. That's talking about the disciples and the church to come, you and me today. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, that's something to think about. That Jesus and God were one. There was perfect unity. And there's still perfect unity and harmony in heaven. And he's praying that those who would follow after him would be together in that perfect unity. Now, why? Well, I think there are three reasons that Jesus points out in his prayer. First of all, in verse 21, is to show the world that Jesus Christ was sent as Savior and Lord. That's out of John 17, verse 21. And Jesus said, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then secondly, in verse 23, is to show the world that we are loved by God. May they be brought to complete unity, Jesus prayed. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then in verse 18 is to be blessed with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be empowered to fulfill the mission. In verse 18 Jesus prayed and said, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See Jesus came into this world on a mission from God. So that he would come proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's our purpose. And when we are united around that, unit, that common purpose, that shared purpose, then we will find that there is indeed a, a sense of unity that comes from that shared purpose. Now the second thing I notice about a church on mission is that it is a church that is centered in prayer. Acts 4.24 says they raise their voices together in prayer to God. And you read through the life of the early church. It should be very obvious to you that they had a deep, a deep abiding commitment to prayer. And, and the picture we see of the church in the book of Acts is a church that is centered in prayer. At least 31 occasions are mentioned in the book of Acts. They played in the, prayed in a variety of places. They play, prayed at the temple. They prayed in homes. They prayed in churches. They even prayed down by the riverside. They prayed for a variety of needs when it came time to choose leaders like we did a couple of weeks ago. In times of persecution. In times of transitioning in the life of the church. Acts also tells us that they prayed habitually. And it also tells us that they prayed together. We saw that in verse 24. So that this early church was a church centered in prayer. They did nothing without that prayer. They did nothing without first praying and asking God's guidance and direction. 
And they did so because they had an entire empire against them. Even the organized religion of the day was against them. As we saw here in the text for today, there were constant threats and abuse and a criticism and persecution about their lifestyle and what they were doing. And they had to rely on God through prayer. Well, the reality is, so do we today. And when we are in touch with God in prayer, then we are in touch with his power. Look at verse 31 as to what God did in response to their prayer. They all came together and they prayed. And verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you imagine that? That this church was gathered together and they prayed and the scripture says that after they prayed, that place where they gathered and prayed was literally shaken. I wonder what would happen on Wednesday night when the 30 or 40 or so of us who have been invigorated by, by the prayer emphasis meeting on Wednesday night and praying about a variety of things. Not just the sick and suffering, but we do that as well, but praying about a variety of things. I wonder what would happen if after our time of prayer on Wednesday night, that place was shaken. Most of us would probably think Fort Jackson's back at it again and dropped a big bomb or something, wouldn't we? Or we would think, in all this rainy weather, here comes another storm, and we'd probably just let it pass. I would love to have been there, wouldn't you? And to have been involved in that prayer, and to know that it was the power of God that shook that place, because they came to him with an urgent need, and they were in unity, and they prayed. What do we do when we get together and pray? Most of the time, we talk about our problems. Oh, how bad the world is getting to be. The political scene's not any better. There's nobody to vote for. Look at all the moral failures and all the issues in our culture today. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and, they just, and we just kind of wring our hands and say, well, I guess we better pray. Lord, bless this mess. You know, help us understand it. Lord, we commit this to you. Be with all those who are sick. You know, that kind of thing. The early church, I think, really prayed and claim the power of God to deal with the issues that were around them. How are we going to know the will of God as we move into the future? How are we going to experience that power of God as we move into the future? Billy Graham, man of great integrity, celebrates his 97th birthday, says the three secrets to ministry are prayer, prayer, and more prayer. And almost 100 years ago, uh, R.A. Torrey, American evangelist, said this. Now, this is 100 years ago. We look back and we think, boy, life back then was slow and easygoing, and the church did wonderful things. We, we didn't have all the distractions we have today. Listen to what he said, 1928. He said, we are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. How do we overcome that and experience the power of God? Through prayer. We have to be a church that's committed to prayer. And notice how these people prayed. 
So the threats were against them that said, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore or we're going to really lower the boom on you. Now, what did they pray? How did they pray about that when they came back? They didn't pray and say, Lord, change the minds of the religious leaders. They didn't pray and say, Lord, remove this opposition from us. They didn't pray and say, put a hedge of protection around us. They didn't pray and say, Lord, strike this enemy dead in your name. Those are some of their paths that we might have taken. But look at verse 29. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They simply pray to be bold in proclaiming Jesus. That was the heart of their prayer for this church that was centered in prayer. And a church on mission for the future has to be centered in prayer. Now here's the third thing I notice. And that is that that a church on mission is consumed with a passion. And I see it in several verses through the scriptures. In verses 19 through 20, Peter and John replied when they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, judge for yourselves whether or not it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 29, again, that prayer emphasis said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Theirs was a purpose that consumed them. Their passion was to share Jesus Christ. As I read through these words about this church so early in its existence as the people of God, it just impresses me with the fact that I can sense and feel through the words on paper how passionate they were about their faith in Jesus Christ. They were passionate about their commitment to the kingdom of God. And I fear today that we got too many distractions and we let too many opportunities pass by. And I think we're so distracted that we really don't have that sense of passion that the church should have for people who are not yet in the church and in the kingdom of God. Now, I read somewhere this week can't even remember the source of it, but somebody says, here are four distorted images of the church that a variety of people bring into the church. First of all, the church is like a gas station. For some people, Sunday mornings are just a time uh, when your spiritual tank is low that you come to church to get a spiritual fill-up. Not everybody feels that because not everybody of our 1,600 and some members are always here on Sunday mornings, right? You know, you just come when you're, when you're feeling low and need a boost. Second, the church is like a movie theater. You go to a movie theater to do what? Sit in a nice, comfortable seat, have some refreshments, and be entertained for a while. A lot of people come to church and say, entertain me. I am. I'm, I'm, it's good, cheap entertainment. They don't have to pay for it if they don't want to. Some people think the church is a drugstore. It's a place where you go and find a prescription that will help you deal with the pain in your life. It's just something therapeutic. And then some see the church as a big box retailer, you know? 
It's a place where you can go for the best products and a clean and safe environment for you and your family. And once again, it comes at a very low price. You're one Stop shopping center for spiritual needs. Now, you know what's wrong with anyone and all of those four views? It's an attitude that you don't find here in the book of Acts in the early church. All of those four views are about who? Me. I'm low. I want you to fill me up. I want to be entertained. I want you to entertain me. I want, I want to find the solution to my issues in life. And you're held responsible to do that. If you don't do that, I'm going to go somewhere else. And then you say, well, this is where I want to come and find that smorgasbord of every possible thing that I could find in the life of the church. That's not what the church was about when it was instituted, when it came to be because of the presence of Christ. There's nothing in the book of Acts from this early church that says anybody did anything because it related to me. They didn't come in and say, meet my needs. They worshiped, they met, they prayed together, they listened to the apostles' teaching, they broke bread from house to house, and then they went out and they shared the love of Christ with a passion with those who were around them. We got a quick video I want you to take a look at. I think it speaks to us about this whole compelling and yet frightening thing about evangelism, okay? I don't know what God has in store for us as we celebrate our 35th anniversary and what is going to be in front of us for 35 more years to come. But I do know this, as one of the quotes remind us, if we're not passionate about the message of Jesus Christ and about proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, we're on the way to our death. Our vision for the next 35 years and beyond must be a vision that sees the lostness of people in this community and is ready to share with a passion the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what the next 35 years will be like, but we believe in the God who holds the future in his hands, right? We believe in the God who promises the success of his church that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that is a bright and promising future for a church on mission with God for the future. And it's a future of blessings and ministry for the glory and honor of God. That's the challenge before us. As we reflect upon 35 years of God's blessings and ministry and where we are, I think in all honesty we become a little complacent. Maybe a little bit more than a little complacent. And it's time that we come back and center our life as a church around being on mission with God. With a purpose, through prayer, and the power of God. That gives us a passion to share the gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you for words of scripture today that challenge us as your believers uh, we thank you for the 35 years of the life of Spring Valley and how you've blessed us from a mission church to where we are today. And uh, as we look towards the future, Father, give us a, a clear sense of your leadership and your calling and the visioning that you have us to do. Help us to see you in your glory so that our vision will be shaped by that and that we will be a people on mission with you for the purpose of expanding your kingdom above any other reason for existing. 
And Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ, who loved us and died for us, so that others could live eternally. Use us, Lord. Shake us from our complacency. Give us a greater sense of urgency about those who are not yet here. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.